Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. This is episode 21, and we got our special guest, Lisa Pack, with us here today. And we're going to be talking about her faith journey and the topic of women in ministry. Let's do this! Hey everybody, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate having this opportunity to have this conversation with you guys and for you guys to be part of it. And we've been loving hearing all the feedback. It's been really, really great to hear all the feedback from you guys and to to see where you guys are at and how you guys are wrestling with what does it mean to be missional and in the context of being Canadian and Asian. So, you know what? We have a special guest host today, Joel Tang. Joel Tang, who's hosting us right here at NYCBC. Say hi. Hello. Hello. Yes. You know what? We are going to have Joel one day on our podcast. We've been waiting, fasting and waiting. For a long time, <laughs> maybe not. I don't so know. Much. Fasting. No, fasting. fasting, maybe not we so much. We eat fat. too much. We, <laughs> we've been eating, eating, and waiting. We're fasting yes. from abstinence That's of true. food. <laughs> I like that. I like that. We should all do that more often. Anyways, Lisa, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are excited that you are on this podcast, and we're excited for you to join us today. You might recognize Lisa's voice a few episodes ago when we had a chance to interview with Reverend Lim about his experiences in North Korea. Lisa was not only the one that set that whole thing up, but was our translator. So you might already recognize her voice, but we wanted to hear about her experiences. First of all, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your spiritual journey with Christ and what led you into ministry? My conversion wasn't like one of those all-on-the-road-to-Damascus moments where I can name the date and the time and the occasion. It was a childhood conversion, and my parents, they're Korean immigrants to Canada. They came, I think, around 1978, like the two of them together. My dad came a little bit earlier, but they were there together, married, and then um, I was born in 1981. And I was brought up with those Christian principles from a Korean household, and um, I always kind of sense that God was there. I never doubted his existence, interestingly, not even in high school. And it was actually when I was about 13, um, when I was like, I want to get into the ministry. And that whole phase was very interesting because I had been reading um, Ecclesiastes and my best friend's mom at the time had cancer. And I thought to myself, well, I'm Asian, like I'm going to go to med school and discover the cure for cancer and that'd be the end of it. But then of course you're reading Ecclesiastes and everything is vain, you know, <laughs> and then everything dies and you sit there and even as a 13 year old, you understand these things. And I just thought to myself, well, yeah, even Lazarus, he was healed, he was raised from the dead and he died again. Mm-hmm. So what lasts long than this physical body? And it was a thought the soul does and everything just fit into my 13 year old brain at that in that capacity and I was like I want to do ministry I wanted to go more along the academic track because as the good Asian young person I was, I loved studying. I was I was really good at it. I enjoyed it. And I thought that's how God was going to use my skills. Right. And so I went to the University of Toronto, Victoria College for undergrad in philosophy and religion. Went to Gordon-Conwell mm-hmm. for my master's in divinity. Fast-tracked that along with my master's in biblical languages in about two and a half years. And then I did one year in the special student program at Harvard. And that was, of course, the Asian dream. And while I was there... 
an individual by the name of Pastor Ha from Onuri Community Church in Seoul, Korea. He came and said, you need to come out there and just explore what Korean Christianity is, the history of it. I was born on the Western side of the world. So from his perspective, going out East was getting more exposure. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to go. <laughs> I was like, I'm at the dream school that I wanted. I wanted to get a PhD, all that stuff. Old Testament, find the Ark of the Covenant that Spielberg and Harrison Ford could find. Indiana Jones. I know. That's part of my culture, right? Which is not part of the Eastern culture. But Harrison Ford. Exactly, right? (laughs) And, And for me, it was also like, I'm born here. I was educated here. My parents owe a lot to this country, even the opportunities. Why should I go back to Korea? It's not that I hated South Korea. I just didn't feel any affinity to it. I was just very, yeah. But when I went out there, it was a different kind of spiritual journey. And from there, long story short, heart opens up to missions. Mm. The whole idea that missionaries came to the peninsula and to the east to give mm. us. And we have this debt to pay forward. Mm. Um, the whole idea of the struggle for young Asians who are growing up all around the world at second gen and their struggles with the first gen and just my heart just blew up for that and I was like this is where I'm going to go now and so that so that led to ministry years of I think 12 years of young adults youth ministry in the Korean context in Canada Korea and in Singapore Mm -hmm. and then I came here and now I'm with the Canadian Bible Society so right was Working with the Canadian Bible Society, what brought you back to Canada? No, interestingly, um, I just knew that my time in Singapore was over because it, they give you visas. And, you know, at the end of that year, I was just kind of like, well, they speak English and Chinese here. I should hand it over to a Singaporean pastor rather than being the Korean English speaking pastor. They know the culture more. And mm-hmm. when I had come back, I was just taking a break and really praying about where God was leading me next. And I my naturally church ministry, let's go find another ministry. I was just like, my heart was just like, (laughs) I felt like that season was over, but I had no idea where I was going. And then the opportunity at the Canadian Bible society came up and I thought there's no, there's no way they're going to hire me because my background is ministry. They needed somebody in a regional director position who had organizational experience. Right. I remember writing my cover letter, I do have lots of organizational experience because of the churches that I worked at Mm. are highly organized, highly structured. The mega church in Korea had 50,000 people. Like it's like, it was hard for me to conceive until I went out there. You got to be organized. Yeah. (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah. But, and so we went through the interviews. I remember thinking, Lord, I really want this job. And speaking of, you know, traditional Canadian leaders, they interviewed me and they hired me. Um, And I was just so very grateful. And one of the things that I loved about the Canadian Bible Society was that when I look at Korean church history, it was the Western missionaries, including young Canadians who came over. And that moves me. Right. That moves me deeply. When I look at the, some of the struggles that the Christian world is having, Christian community is having, I think the immigrant church needs to work together um, mm. somehow with the traditional mainline denominations to bring that revival. Because this is my hunch, and people are free to disagree. I don't think revival is going to come from the westernized churches anymore. I think the immigrant church is coming from the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Far East. Mm. We're... able to bring that kind of heat, so to speak, because what they're experiencing out of the missions world is what the apostolic church was experiencing. And we're able Mm. to bring that freshness and bring that revival with a debt of gratitude that is due and owed to the traditional churches that sent their young people out there. I see history coming full circle in many ways. That's huge. That's really huge. I think the first time I heard that people were sending missionaries to Toronto Mm. blew my mind. Yes, I was like, what? Seriously, we're the Christianized Western <laughs> world, but That's then... That's right. 
That's right. It was it was kind of a bizarre kind of. And notion. we've heard that term post Christian then, like it's yeah, Christian layers, sure. yeah. but now we're beyond that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's what's happening in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it was the Christian West in Europe, but but now it's so post secular, post Christian, post everything. You know, there are missionaries from other countries going there yeah. as well. You described a little bit about the perspective that you experienced in South Korea and in mm-hmm. Singapore. How would you contrast or compare that to? the ministry experiences you've had here in Canada, or maybe even in the States. You were studying in the States for a bit, right? How would you compare that to what you saw here? What you can sense, now that I can compare the two, having worked in the Western Hemisphere and then the Eastern Hemisphere, there is a sense of establishment in the Western world. Like, Mm. you know, they've got the doctrine, the theology, the seminary, like all the Ivy League schools that started off as seminaries, right? Mm, Whereas that's just becoming kind of like a new tradition for many of the people in the East. Like Mm, when I think about South Korea, before the war, 1907 is when there was that revival in what we now know as North Korea, but back then it was one country and it came down to South Korea. There was the war, there was post-war and then, and then, you know, the churches began to grow and what it is now. Mm Mm-hmm. It, there's a there's a lot of charisma, a lot of early morning prayers. You know, the Koreans they go out, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> five in the morning. And then they go to work and then they do Bible study at night. There's that kind of fervency that still is there, and I do hope that a, a second gens don't give that up. There are many things that I would argue and contend that should not be passed on to the second generation Christians, but there's many things that ought to be, and prayer is one of them. Sure, and. Maybe because of the desperation, maybe because in China mm. there's underground church. I actually say there, not maybe, but absolutely. There's that pressure and there's that counter pressure against the church in a very real, tangible, life-threatening way. It's happening. We got to pray. We got to oh, pray. Man. Yeah. Do, do you find that the, the, the Asian culture in the U.S. or even like the home culture in Korea, like what's the major difference that you can see? We've inherited a lot. Like, like when here. you go to a like Canadian, here? yeah, like okay. when you go to a Canadian Korean church, you still have the hierarchy. Right. And I think that only makes sense because the parents that came to establish these churches, their culture was already set by the time they came. Sure. The difference is that the young people are now Western. It's that, you know, mix of a culture where they understand Asian culture, but they also speak their mind because they were educated here. Right. They're told to ask questions, question authority in a respectful, humble way, not just question everything. But at the same time, speak your mind, be independent. And Korea, you still very much have, even despite all the modern things like technology, smartphones, the subway system in Asia, my goodness, right? <laughs> all very, very well done. Not like but ours. You, we, need yeah. <laughs> we need some of that. Please, exactly. please, someone come over. A podcast on like, how to improve That's like, right. um, That could be your mission field. Yeah. Come over, please. Help. <laughs> Get our, yeah, improve our subway system. But you see that technologically and information wise, they're very advanced, but they still have the Korean structure, the hierarchy, the bowing to the elders, the respect. That's not all wrong, but it's just not ours. I've had some students who are pure second gen who, you know, understand the language but can't express themselves in Korean, who have a hard time calling people who are not their kin older brother, older sister, or like, why, you're not my, why would I bow to you? Because it's not part of their culture. Right. In Korea, it's like the idea of senior eldership, going to the same school and having your senior, we call them sambe. It's very still instilled. And that's mm. just not imported here. So when a church is established here from, you know, from those roots, mm-hmm. 
how does it be sensitive to the culture that's here and to the generations that are growing up here when they are coming from such different paradigms and perspectives? What does it mean to be a Canadian Asian church here with those influences and those histories, but also meeting where people are here right now? I think that's where maybe our generation of older second gen or 1.5 gens who really do have a handle on both cultures, linguistically and culturally, need to bridge that gap. Because here you are, you get a kid who's born in, I don't know, 1990, and they're young adults now, and they're, they've been raised a certain way in the home, but then all their friends are multicultural, yeah. biracial marriages, they have For different sure. religions. Mm-hmm. And I think what we need to recognize is have good, strong, wise, biblical leaders who are able to point out that which is a biblical principle across all cultures, but also how to navigate in the Korean culture. Because as a Korean, I know that on a Sunday as a pastor, I don't wear jeans and a t-shirt if I want to be influential in the Korean community. Mm -hmm. I can do that in the Western world. I have no problems with kids. who. But if I want to be able to speak into the lives of the parents of my students in a Korean community, I don't dress like that on a Sunday. And that's out of respect for the culture that's coming there. And I believe that is everything that Paul also talks about in terms of meat, in terms of, you know, what you eat, what you don't, and how to respect the other culture. Not that the Korean culture is weaker in that context, but this is if you want to be influential in that context, you do have to respect their culture. Mm -hmm. If I were going to the Middle East... I would never assume to teach men. That's just not the way that it works there. And I can't get my voice. And it would actually probably put many, it would backpedal in many ways, right? Right. So you respect the culture if you want to be influential in it. I think that's one of the things we have to remember. Hmm. And so you're saying you you have to fully embrace both the Asian culture and also the Canadian culture. Yes. But I got to tell you stories, man, because as an Asian female who's serving in South Korea, like I was younger then too, like everyone ages. I was 20 in my mid to late 20s. And you can just tell that there was um, a patronizing attitude that's very male chauvinistic. I don't think they know how they portrayed themselves because it's just ingrained. Right. Um, and I would put up with it and I would work with it. But when it got to the point that it got too much, I literally would switch from Korean to English and that's it. And they would know that they've pushed a little bit far. They might not know exactly how, but that was the way I drew lines. Mm-hmm. And for me, and maybe it didn't come off well sometimes, but I, I'm learning too. I'm always learning. I'm growing. And that's like, just because I'm a young female... You understand I come from the Canadian context and where females are very um, encouraged to study, to express themselves. But I'm in the Korean world, so I will adjust myself. But if you push me too far, there comes my Canadian culture-ness. Now, the interesting thing was that as a second gen, they can tell I'm different because of the accents on my Korean. The way I even carry myself um, is very different from a Korean young woman who was brought up in Korea. So to their credit, I did get away with a lot more than my female Korean counterparts would have Mm. because of the way they recognized that I was not originally part of the Korean upbringing. And they were actually quite happy and even encouraged me and applauded the fact that I spoke Korean because I was born in Canada and not many people (laughs) who are born in Canada in the 80s knew how to speak Korean that well. So um, kudos to my parents who really ingrained it is important for you to know something about your culture because you're you're visibly not white. So what makes you different? Well, this is where our people are from. 
I understand. I grew up in the 80s, and I can't speak Korean. Mm. So <laughs> I, I'm Chinese, by the way. Yeah. So well, be... right. But French is the language we are expected oh, to, and uh, je parle français un peu, right? Uh, so that's uh, the uh, thing that blows oh, people man. away. We, Canadian, Asian, I don't know, we're going to talk about the French. Yeah, yeah. But I guess that's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. But can you describe a bit more of what that relationship looks like to serve together as a woman pastor with male pastors? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about hierarchy and part of that is patriarchy and so this is a conversation i think is you know just starting to kind of come to the front in a lot of different contexts and what were your experiences i have learned that the context is very important and how you navigate and hold yourself in the Western world, especially in the recent um, months with the Me Too movement, women right. are mm-hmm. very encouraged to speak their mind. And that should be in this culture. In the Asian culture, I think there's more of a subtleness to a feminine role, to a female's role in the way that you can influence. And I've learned that in, from my experience, I cannot behave the same way as an Asian male. It just would not be accepted by culture. And there would be no room. It would almost be like, again, you're hurting yourself more if you try to be exactly like that. On the other hand, the way that I've experienced Asian culture to just function is that when myself as a woman, I am able to meet some of those criteria like, oh, she is soft-spoken, but she's intelligent. That opens the door a little bit more for conversation. Having said this, Onuri Community Church, Reverend Ha Young Jo, that was his name, he was very avant-garde for his generation. He okay. was born in, I know he's born in 1946 because he's the same age as my dad. Mm. And I remember when I was out there, I had not been ordained. And I was like, okay, I'll just finish my kind of time in Korea and I'll go get ordained in Canada. That was my thinking because I won't even bring it up. He's old school. He's very kind, gentle, great preacher. I translated for him many times too. And I thought that he would be like, well, that's not the way we do things at our church. Mm. He calls me to his office one day. And he looks at me and says, aren't you going to get ordained? And I was like, (laughs) I thought you would be against it because you're conservative. Because there are many principles that he was conservative on, Mm -hmm. right? But And he, the way he worded it was, I am being conservative by encouraging you to get ordained. And that blew me out of the water. Because he saw that Paul was very empowering of the women. And he's Mm. like, I'm very being very biblical. And he is known in Korea to this day. He has passed away because he was sick. But he is known in Korea to this day for being very avant-garde and pushing those cultural boundaries Mm -hmm. for the sake of what I believe. And I agree was the gospel and women in leadership empowering them. So I was... I think I, the way that God worked in my life to put me under the protection, the guidance, and the mentorship of this particular pastor was helping me overcome some of the Asian prejudices that I had even against my gender. And I was, blew me away, blew me away when he said that, did not expect that coming. So I was actually ordained in Korea. What was that like in like Toronto? When I came back, it was for the job at um, the Light Presbyterian Church as mm-hmm. an education director. And this is not to demean or this is not to speak badly about the eldership there. I love them. They're very, very, they offered, they gave so much to even build the new building that we have near right. the airport. Yeah. But just to show you the history and the differences of generation and thinking patterns. One of the questions that was asked of me by the eldership was, how did you get ordained if you're not married? Because that's the idea. And that's actually applies wow. to the males too. <laughs> it actually yeah. applies to yeah. the men too. You, oh, okay. it's, expe- so it's not, like a it, it's not but it's yeah. almost, they 
smile upon men who are married and then it's easier to get ordained. It's odd, I know, but that was the question that they asked me. And right. then my church history brain is going back to before the Protestant Reformation. Where do you think all the priests were? They were unmarried, right? But <laughs> this is me holding my tongue. Yeah. And just recognizing that they come from a very different mindset, paradigm, cultural influences. Yeah. And again, if I want to win them over, that is not the time and place to have that debate. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about it a little bit. And Reverend Lim, he spoke up because he was a senior pastor and then said, well, she's got to go to her students. So we'll talk about this. And there are ways to have a continuance on some of these conversations when people are more ready. And that was their first exposure to me. I grew up at the church, but I was gone for like, you right. know, seven years and they mm -hmm. came back. Afterwards, when they saw me function in the role, you earn that respect. Okay. I'm not about the feminist voice. We're really about the kingdom of God. And when you push the God agenda, I find that the feminine biblical agenda comes with it. Sure. And that might take a couple of generations, but women have waited for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it's such a privilege to be able to slowly pave that way. And we see the results right. a little bit more and more and more. And that's awesome to see if one of my young girls in high school right now, my students, I should say, were to want this, I would absolutely speak up for them because now I think that we can. Okay. Maybe when I was still young, it was still navigating some of the difficulties, yeah, right. but I think we've turned the corner and I can speak a little bit more strongly on their behalf. That's a lot to unpack right there. Yeah, that's, oh, that was man. an interesting no, phase of my life. No, no, I, but I think that's your experience. And I don't think you're the only one that's had that experience. But mm. to even think that like, wow, like that they would say, if you're married, then they would look at you a different way or that you would have to kind of earn mm -hmm. somewhat of that kind of credibility or that respect. That's also part of the Asian church sure. culture. Yeah. For me, that was a challenge, but not a negative challenge. If I have to work twice as hard as my male counterpart to earn your respect, I will, because that refines my craft as a speaker. That refines me as a minister. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that mm -hmm. because God sees that. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I want to win over again, the people that I'm, whose children I'm serving, whose young people I'm serving for their sake, I can do that. Mm. Yes, it's hard work and you have to flip a switch in your brain and you're like, no, I'm going to do this. I enjoy that. It, make, it makes me a better person. It helps me. It helped me understand mm -hmm. the people that I'm trying to win over, sure. that I have won over more. I'm blown away by your humility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just that, you know, I don't think everyone would have that same attitude. <laughs> oh my uh. goodness. But when I was in high school, it was like, if you told me I couldn't do it because I was a girl, I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. Even if I didn't <laughs> like it. At first, the prejudice come because your ethnicity, your gender. But when you actually connect with somebody, mm -hmm. you can win them over. You absolutely can. And again, when I think about the way that the life that Christ lived, like that's the standard for us all. Mm -hmm. And if I live my, my life on this side of heaven and I don't get the chances, then maybe the next girl will. Maybe the next generation of young right. girls will. That's mm -hmm. fine. That's, if that's how we pave the road, that's fine. My mom did it for me. My grandmother did it for her. And then... It just opened up. It was like the highway just opened up for mm. this generation. Let's do it. And yeah. there are still women in many countries and cultures who are not even allowed to be educated. Mm -hmm. And that strikes me as sad, but that's okay. The Lord still knows where history is headed, and he loves his daughters. He mm. loves his daughters. So. Amen to that. Yeah. It's big. I want to just personally thank you for offering your experiences because, mm. once again, you know, Shu, Bernard, and I, and Joel, you know, we're male, so we have experienced ministry in the, in the context of ministry in different ways. And so 
I'm really thankful for this because it's really blowing my brain open. <laughs> well, here's my perspective, and I tell this to my girls as well. My by by girls, I mean my students. Where it's like when you think about the standard that God has for a husband. Like I'm not married, but the biblical standards, it's clear. You know, love your wives like Christ loved the church. I do not envy the position of male leadership. Like, it's a heavy burden to bear. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has been done well in many cases, but it has in so many. Mm-hmm. And so when I understand that, it reminds me of my big fat Greek wedding where the wa- <laughs> mom is telling the daughter, listen, the dad is the head, but the mom is the neck kind of thing. And I understand <laughs> that. It's really a teamwork that we mm-hmm. have here. Mm-hmm. And it's mirrored in the church. Sure. It's really mirrored in the church. Yeah. And so when I see the way that female pastors can function in the church to serve the young kids or to serve the females or to serve the elderly or to serve other people and give young men a perspective about marriage and what it means to be a woman, how to be loved as a woman to the young men who are getting ready or even married, I think there's a lot of place for women leadership in the church. I have found nine times out of ten when the female or the woman, when I am more humble about it and I don't wear my ego as a female on my sleeve it's a lot easier to win over mm. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's what catches my attention the, the humility is not it's not like you versus everyone else mm-hmm. but as as you said is you you're taking this as a not a negative challenge but as a, as a challenge to 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 work harder mm-hmm. and I, that's leadership right there to to show even your male counterpart i'm working harder to to earn this oh, respect yeah. right yeah. so you you have to do the same thing too it's the Proverbs 31 woman. And I know people yeah. use this in the context of marriage and very homemakers. No, she's a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She gets up early yeah. and takes care of home economics, which was the way that life was done back then. This is Abigail mm-hmm. kneeling before David, mm-hmm. who had all the power. This is Esther going before Xerxes. Right. And those, oh, someone might argue, those are anachronistic stories way back in, you know, so far back in history. But the principle is the same. Sure. And I have found, again, in my own experience, when I'm able to frame a question that is more humble in the language and the tone of voice, it's the same essential question, then I get a more positive response. Mm. And when you have histories and 5,000 years of male patriarchy in the Mm. Asian world, it's ideal and nice to think that it could be overturned in one generation. But like, these are our fathers or brothers, you know, our husbands, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a measure of um, respect that can be given even as a change occurs. Sure. And I'm, I speak to my male counterparts who have daughters. They want better for their daughters too. It's that whole principle, that biblical principle too, is just win them over with goodness. Yes. Overcome evil with good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, you're, you're just framing it in such a way that like it's, it's hitting home. Mm. This is our churches. These are our contexts. This is the leadership structure. How do we engage in that with grace and with goodness? Man, it's a lot to think about. And it's like pretty awesome and pretty powerful too, because we often taught about, we, you know, we, we, we have, we've all taken leadership courses and mm. whatnot about, you know, how do we cultivate and train up new leaders? But one of the best ways to train up leaders is to model with them Absolutely. what and how to lead in mm-hmm. different contexts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I love the fact that your posture, it's almost like subversively missional mm. where you're understanding mm. the context and you, you're like, you subversively changing the culture but without being fully a part of the culture but still enough of the culture that that it's is evolving and it's is giving a, a pathway i think for a lot of younger women leaders to be able like yeah you know like perhaps there is another way 
Mm-hmm. It isn't just like I fight to the death or I flee mm-hmm. or I have to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there, there, there is another way. And I think that's. And it's the end game too. Like male or female, Chinese, Korean, Canadian, doesn't matter. Our end game as believers is to save souls. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if I'm going to push just because, I, let's just say, hypothetical situation, I want to be the senior pastor of a church, so I'm going to play the political game and, you know, I'm female, you never give females a chance. But the havoc that I'm wreaking inside the church because the politics, the division, what is this asking all these questions, it may not be the right approach. There's a time and place and a way to do things, um, and that takes a lot of wisdom. And at the end of the day, when I die, like, it's not about me being female. It's not about me being Korean. At the end of the day, was I a good servant of Christ? Mm. It scares me sometimes because I know that I can be very assertive and articulate, that the words that I say may hurt one of my brothers or make him feel like I'm demeaning or condescending him because I can speak better or because I can speak English better or because I have more education. Like, it's ridiculous. And to say that I need to step over somebody in order to be a leader, that runs counter to what I know to be biblical leadership. There mm. is enough people in the world to serve. If you're up for titles, then we're in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're up for influence, there's a lot of room for leadership there. And I love that because in the way you are approaching it is painting a picture of the kingdom of God. Mm. It's not trying to use influence or power to get ahead mm. or to or establish yourself, right? But it is painting a picture of of, you know, this is the way God has called us to be, mm-hmm. right? This is his gospel enacted. And so how do we serve together? How do we treat one another? And how can we learn from each other? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of what we often talk about on this podcast, right? Yeah. Like we, we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. We're not on different teams. Mm-hmm. And often we end up building empires where we should be actually building the kingdom. And I think that's the danger. That's not to say it doesn't hurt when it happens to be your gender that people are picking. Because listen, if you tell me that I fall short because of education, I will study. If it's finances, then I'll you know raise funds. Mm-hmm. If it's gender, you're just kind of like, well, God made me this way. And then you, there is an anger that often comes up against God. Because right. I thought to myself, mm-hmm. I have an older brother hanging around with the boys. It's like, why can't I run as fast as them, throw as hard as them? I wanted to be the closing pitcher for the Yankees because Mariana Rivera was so amazing. I love baseball. <laughs> but yes. it's just like your body is built differently. I'm just yeah. not going to be that. Mm-hmm. There was an opportunity that came up for me. This was 2012. So we're not talking 1980s. Um, I was a kid that no one would offer me a job then. But th- I'm trying to give you a context. So it was pretty recent. And I was offered EM pastorship over mm-hmm. a church in foreign lands in Australia, actually. It was a oh. But it was a Korean church. And I was just like, God, I so want to go. And the job was offered to me. However, the senior pastor, the Korean side, now I would work closely with him, you know, the EM, the KMs kind of like working together. But I had autonomy over the CEM leadership, mm-hmm. which was sure. huge. Mm-hmm-hmm. And I was like, God, I so want to go. I want to go. And my heart was like, I need to take this job. But then... My prayer was like, Lord, I know that based on who I am and my notions, I'm just going to take the job without really praying about it because I know that I'm so emotionally invested. I'm like, I know my faculties are all over the place, so I need you to close the door if you don't want me to go. Literally the next day, the senior pastor calls again and says, I'm so sorry. I didn't expect this, but the EM is having trouble accepting a woman senior pastor for them. 
Mm. which blows you away because wow. the KM are the older, more traditional side, but it was the EM. And I remember thinking, it, it breaks your heart. I was crying. Like, what, like, what did yeah. I do wrong? And it, they don't even know me. They haven't even heard me yeah. preach or anything. But it's based solely on that. And I remember I collected myself because they had already bought the ticket and their speaking pastor was going to be away that week. So they wanted to just come anyway and just preach to us and just take it as something like, you know, yeah. it was hard. Like I could say, no, I don't want to go anymore. But... The other thing was I'm trying to spin it in my head. It's Australia. I've never been there. Okay, I'll go, I'll go. <laughs> so I go and I preach and met with the leaders there. And I, I just pretended that it was it, it was a big deal, but at the same time, it wasn't their fault. Like, that's the way that mm-hmm. they think. I can't change that unless I win them over. And I remember, you know, they took me to the Sydney Opera House. We went to, like, where, I forgot what it's called, but this um, port where they had all the seafood. And mm-hmm. it was a great time. And these young guys and... This was a vindication. It was just one sentence, but you're not who we thought you would be like. And that was it. And that was enough to know that I had changed something about the paradigm Mm -hmm. that they had about women leaders. And that for me was enough. And my heart came away full. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was not my time to leave Mm -hmm. the position at LPC yet. And so God does work, but it does, it's... it is infuriating when because it's your emotional reaction to sure, human. Sure. It was infuriating. Yeah, it was yeah. frustrating. It tears and anger against God just, you know, rears up in your own heart. And that's when you pray through it. Sure. God is good. He did not make a mistake. I will go. I will enjoy my time. It's some downtime. It's Australia. And, and then when you're there, that one phrase just was enough. Mm, sure. It was enough. And it's crazy how God answered the prayer that you were praying, saying, close the door. Yeah, literally. (laughs) And then it just happened. Wow. And it's so funny you say that. And then even when you're like, I know God, I told you to do it, but it still hurts. It still (laughs) stays. Not that way, God. Any other way. It's only in hindsight. That's, you're like, oh yeah, I did pray that. And you answered it. And it's just like, can you let me reject them? (laughs) Like they literally rejected me. You're just like, okay, fine. So, Uh, you know, I just want to ask you what, what are ways in which people can engage in conversations to continue to, to grow and learn in, in respect to women in ministry? You know, you talked about how there were some, you know, in that Australian church, there was already some paradigms and perspectives there. And you talked about going there and being at the preach and having someone say, you know, you were not what I expected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what are some ways in which we can engage in conversation to continue to to unpack it because there's so many things that are not talked about. Yeah. This is what I commend the millennial and the Gen Zs for because you've getting a young generation that are so open. They're really about authenticity. Just tell me who you are. Despite all the social media and the filters that are on there, you've got a generation that understands that that's just the filters. They want to know what your real struggles are, and they find it hard to connect with the persona that's projected as the senior pastor or the revivalist preacher. Mm -hmm. They want to know what's your real life like. Mm -hmm. And I think we can take a cue from this young generation because I realized that my students didn't respect me because I had a title. In the Korean context, and God bless my students, they would call me Moksanim in front of the Korean culture because that shows, that elevates me in in the proper way in our culture. But when we're just like this, it's like, hey, Bernard, hey, Lisa, or Pastor Lisa, and it's very casual. And I think when it comes to even women in ministry, it's number one, be authentic. Mm. Be authentic with your struggles. It gets me mad when you know, men think like this. Mansplaining is one of the words that are being thrown That's around, right? right? Mm-hmm. And just be aware that everyone comes with a certain perspective. If I'm talking to an older Asian male, 
I do come with prejudices. I'm going to think that he's going to think of me this way. Mm. And maybe 70% of the time they, they do, but maybe this person is not. So you really have to go with every new person you meet. This is a new person. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. may have the appearance of an Asian older male, but they may not be like that. Again, the pastor who said, why aren't you getting ordained blew me away because I had these Mm -hmm. preconceived notions about what Korean older pastors were like. That's not to say I'm not right sometimes, but it's really okay. Let every person be a new person to you. Um, Be smart and wise about it, but take the honest effort. Sometimes it's a slow going, Mm. but to get to know the person and their context. Mm. And then when you know that you've hit a stereotype that they also believe in, because I do too sometimes, how can you strategically and lovingly break down that barrier, but not break down the person? Oh, that's big. Yeah, That's big. (laughs) I even had it with my own grandmother who was brought up born in 1920s, Korea, and she was brought up in a world where the first son of any family is the treasure, and that's my brother on both sides of the family. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I thought she didn't love me, but that wasn't the case. She didn't She didn't know how to express the love in the way that the modern world expresses love to girls, and okay. all that went away when she was in the nursing home, and at this point, she had lost her ability to communicate by speech, and I had come back from a break from seminary, and it was a spiritual thing. Because obviously she couldn't speak to me, but I knew that she was so proud of me for going into the ministry. Mm. And it was just this mm. tear, this re- full reconciliation at that point. In my high school, it was very tense. University years, I'll just move out and go to se- um, seminary. And there was full reconciliation then. Wow. I knew that she was proud of me. She knew that all my confusion growing yeah. up, like, why is she treating me this way, was gone. And it was like, and I'm so glad we had that moment because, you know, they passed away. For sure. So it was really, and it was from a female, right? It's from a grandmother, not from a grandfather. So So you're describing kind of the the postures of conversation surrounding women in ministry. Do you find that some of these conversations are happening also within like the church leadership context in the Korean churches or like in the the denominational level in some of the... churches that some of the mainline Korean churches are are part of? Interestingly, in the Korean peninsula, South Korea, it's happening a little bit faster. I think Mm -hmm. just the nature of Asia is just faster in many ways. But again, when the leadership or the older generation immigrated here, they immigrated with 1960s, 70s, 80s culture. And that, while South Korea is progressing in many ways, they couldn't because they couldn't get involved with Canadian Uh. culture in that sense. So they've kind of stuck in this mentality, but it is happening Mm -hmm. because they're seeing that they don't want their 25-year-old daughter being prejudiced against just because she's a female. If she wants to go into ministry, why not and it's it's putting an actual personal face on an issue now right i find that the young women are more articulate and we have em pastors who are very empowering of their wives whatever role they may take in the church but also in the secular world and one of the things that we recognize whether it's an asian church or not is that the secular world is a little bit faster in many ways and sometimes ways that we don't agree with but in terms of feminine equality and same pay and, you know, giving sure. women their, they're, they're, they're there, at least in the Western world. And they're pushing it a little bit more. It's just surprising me that still women of the same executive level as male don't get the same salary. That blows my mind. But at the same time, we're improving. And I think in that sense, when we see that the secular world is embracing all the resources that femininity women can bring to any context, whether it's business, education, or whatnot, the church needs to learn in that respect. Mm-hmm. 
again, that doesn't mean, and forgive me for using this word, we're emasculating males and we're like rebelling against the male leadership. It's just saying there is enough work in the world for the kingdom of God that you need to empower women to Mm. do it. You know, just kind of as offshoot question, do you think the recent like Me Too or the Church Too movement have affected any of these conversations or paradigms? I think it has. I think it has made the issue um, sometimes hypersensitive within the church. Like, what is a male pastor supposed to do? Can he hug a female? Like, it's almost gotten to the point that there's a little bit of paranoia. But maybe that offsets some of the conversations and some of the fear that women had when men in leadership, we've heard a lot in the past few months about men in Christian leadership specifically also who Mm -hmm. have abused their position of Mm -hmm. power in sexual assault and abuse. That should not have happened. And for how many decades these these women, they were the paranoid ones. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, okay, let's not again accuse every male and um, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there has to be an honest conversation about this and the role that males have played Mm -hmm. in enabling and sometimes females again, um, because of the culture and the day and age, it's, we enable almost in a subconscious way. But now that we're aware Let's not push it under the table anymore. Now that we are aware, we have no excuse. We need to have some hard conversations. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're going to just wrap up this topic, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I'm sure we can go on and on. One of the things we do on our podcast is do a takeaway box, which is kind of a final thought or a final encouragement or challenge. So... In relation to women in ministry and kind of understanding, unpacking it, is there a word you would like to give to our listeners? First of all, for the women, for the young ladies, for God's daughters, you are dearly loved. And the other would be, don't force the circumstance. All the opportunities I was given was not because I was trying to make a feminine statement in the church. God creates those. God created for Esther. God created for Abigail. God created for Mary. He he created for Mary Magdalene when she was anointing Jesus' feet, and Jesus defended her. And so in that respect, it's great to have the community defend you, but if you're the only voice, you go to God. He orchestrates everything, the perfect timing. That doesn't mean, again, when the door is closed, it's not going to hurt. It is going to hurt, like I've been through that. But God will move those hearts. Mm -hmm. And your attitude towards difficult situations wins people over. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Awesome. Yes. Amen, indeed. I think Bernard, Shu, and I will stop doing this podcast, and Lisa is going to take over. (laughs) And (laughs) it's, you know, that was so awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing so many of your experiences and stories. Thank you for having me. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Man, just so... I feel like we need to do this again. I love what you guys are doing with these podcasts, not going to lie. It's been great to hear the conversations that these episodes have sparked and some of the things that have come out of it. So thank you so much for coming and sharing and challenging us. And, you know, we're hoping that these episodes are going to go and bless a lot of people and continue to help us to understand the heart of God and what his mission is in this world. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening today. We really appreciate all of you guys and we love hearing from you. So please leave us some feedback. Get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, or email. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. That really helps us get this conversation out. We love being able to engage this space and be able to invite others into it. 
Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you later.